God is absolute in righteousness, and God cannot manifest mercy at the expense of righteousness. He's got this thing very, very clear. I'm talking about the very heart of the gospel. God's righteous, holy character must be vindicated, satisfied. And we found as we study it in the scriptures, this last lesson, we took up how God manifested his satisfaction by raising his son from the dead and sitting him at his own right hand in the heavenlies, far above all principalities and powers, exalted him to be a prince and a priest and savior. So today we want to follow through. I'm going to deal with a subject that's one of the main facets of the gospel. I'm going to talk about justification. The removal of sin doesn't fit me for heaven. That's not justification. Now, I believe in redemption from sin. We've already had that. He bought us for himself. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, has cleansed us from every sin. No question about that. Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more forever. But I'm going to stand before a holy, righteous God. And I must have a righteousness. And I say this reverently. I must have a righteousness that equals his. Where are you going to get it? Our name, the unchanging word, reflects the fact that the eternal word of God is never changed and never will. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by his grace came with me to the Unchanging Word Bible broadcast, we are following through on the spiritual life of the believer in Christ. As Dr. Mitchell stated, we will be looking at God's and the Bible's declaration of the believer's righteousness before him, which is called justification. Justification is different from being innocent. Being innocent is being without sin, even as Adam and Eve were at the beginning. But justification, now that's God's declaration that the one who believes in Jesus possesses the very righteousness of Christ himself. And this is more than just absence of sin. It is a positive declaration and imputation of the very righteousness of the Savior himself to one's own account. Well, let's open our Bible to Romans chapter 3, verse 21 with Dr. Mitchell here. He's going to give us an understanding of this truth of justification, which was provided by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior, at the cross. In our last lesson, we were dealing, the last two or three lessons, we were dealing with the finished work of Christ at the cross. That he did three things concerning us. You had the question of sin, which is redemption. We have reconciliation, he made peace. Not only for us, but for the world. He reconciled the world to himself. As Romans 5.10 says, we were reconciled when we were enemies. We accepted that reconciliation. And because of that, the scripture says, we shall be saved by his present life in heaven, his intercessory life. I'm quoting from Romans chapter 5, by the way, verses 10 and 11. And the third thing was the work of our Savior with respect to God himself respect to the Father. 
God is absolute in righteousness. And God cannot manifest mercy at the expense of righteousness. It's got this thing very, very clear. I'm talking about the very heart of the gospel. God's righteous, holy character must be vindicated, satisfied. And we found as we studied it in the scriptures this last lesson, we took up how God manifested his satisfaction by raising his son from the dead and sitting him at his own right hand in the heavenlies, far above all principalities and powers, exalted him to be a prince and a priest, a savior. So today we want to follow through. I'm going to deal with a subject that's one of the main facets of the gospel. I'm going to talk about justification. I know you say, well, we all know what justification is, but what is justification? Hmm? You know, I, I was with some preachers one time getting ready for a Billy Graham campaign. And I was getting out some preliminary Bible studies for the personal workers, for the counselors. And I happened to say, shall we put in this question of justification? And one of the men says, of course, of course, we all believe in justification. Well, I said, what do you think it is? Well, he said, we all know that. Justification is that we stand before God as if we had never sinned. That's not justification. Now, what he says is right. We stand before God as if we'd never sinned. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, has cleansed us from all sin. It's a question of the righteousness of God. How many are going to heaven? How are you going to stand there? The removal of sin doesn't fit me for heaven. I believe in redemption from sin. We've already had that. He bought us for himself. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, has cleansed us from every sin. No question about that. Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more forever. But I'm going to stand before a holy, righteous God. And I must have a righteousness. And I say this reverently. I must have a righteousness that equals his. Where are you going to get it? So I'm going to spend a few moments on this this morning and follow along with these basic truths. I know, I know you're going to get these things in, uh, in doctrine and theology, but I want to get this in your heart. I want you folk to enjoy real assurance in the Savior, to really begin to understand what the Lord Jesus did for us at the cross. As I've been saying he did nothing in us at the cross. He did something for us. He made it possible to remove our sins. That's true. But he also made it possible for every believer in Christ to stand before him in the righteousness of his beloved son. So you're standing before God in righteousness is even as the son of God stands before his father. Wonderful truth. Now, first of all, let me just suggest the need for it. We spent some time a while ago on this, but let me refresh your memory again. All have sinned and come short 
of the glory of God. You remember Romans 3.23? God's conclusions about man. Galatians 3.22, the scriptures had concluded all under sin. Romans 11.32, he had concluded all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. And as you go down through your scriptures, you can't help but realize the marvel of it all. As Romans chapter 3, you remember from verse 9 on, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They've all gone out of the way. They have together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they've used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. And the way of peace they have not known. Their feet are swift to shed blood. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Every man's mouth shut. This is Romans 3, verse 9 to 20. And until every man's mouth is shut and the world gilly before him, then God begins to open his heart. And with verse 21, he says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. I'm going to be used to using those scriptures after a while, but I want to get this clear in your mind. Remember Isaiah 64, 6 says, Our righteousness is in God's sight as filthy rags. Can you bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not a one. There's a need then for righteousness. As I said a while ago, is it enough to just have our sins forgiven? No, we need more than that. I've got to stand before a righteous God, and God's holy character demands that we be righteous in his presence. Indeed, God would have been righteous in damning the whole human race because of their corruption and sin. Like you have it, for example, just before the flood. The world was filled with violence. The thoughts and the imaginations of the heart of man was evil continually. And it grieved the heart of God that he had made man. Now I'll give him 120 years of grace. And Noah was a preacher of 120 years. And the only group that was saved were his own family. Hmm? All right. So I want to repeat this question. The first thing is, how can a righteous God declare sinners righteous? He cannot save sinners at the expense of his righteousness. So we took up this question. The law of God must be upheld. The law says you must die. The law demands righteousness, but doesn't give you any power to do it. It's very obvious. And there's no question about us being, about us being guilty. And as I said a while ago, God cannot save at the expense of his righteousness. He must save in righteousness, and how can he do it? So the, the cross, at the cross, Jesus Christ met all the demands of the law for us. He died your death. Remember, please, he not only died for your sins, but he died for you. He met every demand of the law and he met every demand of the righteous character of God. 
Now come back to that passage in Romans chapter 3. And by the way, if I were teaching exposition of Romans, I'd make you memorize that. Romans 3, 21 or 31. It's a great foundational passage on the wonderful, wonderful grace and righteousness of God. When you've got every man's mouth shut and the world guilty, nothing to say, and he opens his heart and he lays bare his plan, but now the righteousness of God you have in verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. And so we'll be using those scriptures as we go along. Every demand of the law has been met. Romans 3, 21, we'll take long. 1 Corinthians 1, 30. 1 Corinthians 1, 30. For of him are you in Christ Jesus, who in the wisdom of God has been made unto us Righteousness. Remember that. Philippians 3.9, Paul says, I count everything but loss to know him. I count everything but loss to be found in him righteous. If you read the beginning of that chapter where Paul talks about what he was before he was saved, an amazing character. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews, touching the law of a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness in the law, I was blameless. And yet all these things that were gained in me, I count them lost for Christ. Just to be found in him righteous. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9 is the one I'm hearing. Romans chapter 10, verse 4. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. I remember what's in the back of my mind is the law demands your death. The law demands righteousness, and the law has no mercy. The law has no mercy. It's a ministration of death. The law says you must die. Christ took your place. He took my place. And justification is God declaring righteous the one who puts their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's oh, a wonderful thing. This is more than innocency. This is more than innocency. Righteous, positive thing. Just think of it for a moment. Meditate upon it. You and I stand in the presence of God in all the righteousness and all the beauty of Christ. That's why in Ephesians 1, 6, as we are accepted in the beloved one, the scripture comes to my mind. All that he is before God, that's where we stand. I tell you, as I said in the last lesson, God's righteousness has been satisfied, has been vindicated. Now the ground for it, of course, is the cross. The ground for being justified is the cross. Romans 5, 9 much more being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Much more being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Second Corinthians 5.21, he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we, we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Let's get this, I want to get this clear in your mind. Justification is more than 
and the giving away or getting away from sin. That we stand before our God as if we never sinned, that would be innocency. It's the positive thing. We stand before God in all the righteousness of Christ. Now, how can I get this? How is it received? Of course, it's by faith. Let me give you these passages, and you can follow them through Romans chapter 4. I think the first five verses where we have the example of what is the right kind of faith. Chapter 4 of Romans is answering the question, what is the right kind of faith? What is the sample faith? Abraham, if he were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone, for us also. Let's get this thing very clear in our mind. He justifies the ungodly who believe, verse 5. He justifies, declares righteous, the ungodly who believe. Now, at the end of the passage, 24 and 25, what is justifying faith? Faith in the God of resurrection. Now, that last verse in the King James Version, I want to change it. King James Version says, He was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Justification is through the cross, through the blood of Christ, through the sacrifice of Christ, not through the resurrection. The resurrection is the guarantee of it. I'm just assured, standing in the presence of God, in all the righteousness of Christ, as I am that Christ was raised from the dead. Again, I come back to it. I don't mind repeating it over and over again. The cross is a tragedy without the resurrection. Are you saved? Did Christ bear all your sins? Did he die your death? You say, yes. How do you know God is satisfied with that? He's a righteous God. He's a holy God. As we had in Romans 3.25, you remember, God set him forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him who believeth in Jesus. Where's boasting then? There's no room for it. Excluded, as we shall see. It's received by faith. I would suggest uh, Romans 5, 1, be a good verse there, therefore being justified. Remember what it is, therefore being declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God. That's why I keep uh, mentioning that chapter in Isaiah 32, 17. The work of righteousness is peace, peace. You wouldn't have any peace if God was not satisfied with the work of his Son. And that he can take believing sinners, sinners who believe in him, by just simple faith and trust in him, not only forgives every sin, but thank God, covers us with the righteousness of Christ. You all know Romans 10 and 9 and 10. Do you know that one? If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. One of a verse. And take these two verses, these two passages in Galatians. Galatians is full of it, by the way. I don't want to get into Galatians. Galatians 2.16. Galatians 2.16. 
And Galatians 3.24. And remember, if I might suggest this, the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall be justified by them. Yeah. All right, the next thing, it excludes all human boasting. <laughs> it excludes all human boasting. Let me repeat again what justification is. God declaring righteous the man who trusts in the Savior. That Christ at the cross did a perfect work so that God can not only cleanse us from sin, but also pronounce us righteous in his Son. He is our righteousness. As I quote that verse in Romans 10, 4, Christ is the end of the law, end of works, if you please, for righteousness to everyone that believeth. So I want to say that it excludes all human boasting. You know that one, Romans 3, 27, where is boasting then is excluded by what law of works, nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is declared righteous by faith without the deeds of the law. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you all know that, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's no boasting at all. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 to 31, that whole passage dealing there. Where is works then? Excluded. Christ did a perfect work. You can't add to it. You know this. I've said this quite often. Supposing Christ did 99% of the job and left 1% for you to do, and you got to heaven, you'd be shouting, you say, Lord, don't forget what I did, though. Don't you forget what I did. No flesh will glory in his presence. Why? Because he did the whole business. He's a perfect Savior, an eternal Savior. My heart is heavy as I meet people who are telling me what they do and what they can't do so on concerning salvation. Sometimes they even put our Savior's work on the cross on the same ground as the blood of bulls and of goats. Our Savior died once for sin, the just for the unjust to bring us to God being put to death in the flesh and quickened by the Spirit. You and I have wonderful, wonderful access into the very presence of God. If the Lord should come right now, listen now, if the Lord should come right now, now I've got no ground to say he won't. But no man knows the day nor the hour. But supposing the Lord should come right now, where would you folk go? Heaven. To heaven? In the presence of a holy God? Amen. Presence of a righteous God? Amen. Where's your sin? Where are you going to get righteousness that equals his? So when Christ died on the cross, he not only put away our sins, but he made it possible for God to declare righteous everyone who puts their trust in his beloved son.
trust that your hearts have been blessed and encouraged through the study of God's Word. You may write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to The Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. The Unchanging Word. And so until next time, this is The Unchanging Word radio broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.